that. Welcome, everybody. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you were about to go into, we, we might say, a meeting or an important conversation or engage some sort of, you know, important event or, or some sort of deal, and you knew that what you were about to experience and the interactions you were about to have, the conversation you were about to have, you knew it was like super critical stuff, important stuff, and you kind of thought, hey, I'm going to come out of this meeting, I'm going to come out of this, this conversation with some answers. You ever been in that situation? Look forward to a meeting like that where you're like, man, I cannot wait to get some clarity on some important stuff. We're going to look at a story today where the disciples of Jesus, those who were followers of Christ, had an encounter with Jesus and a conversation with him where they probably thought that they were going to end up with some help, some information, some clarity, and some answers. And you know what ended up happening? They ended up with more questions than they had when they started the conversation. That ever happened to you? Isn't that precious when that happens? We're going to look at how this played out with the disciples. As Ed was saying, we have for the last several weeks, in fact, since Easter Sunday, each of our Sunday conversations and our Sunday messages has been in a series called Eyewitness, where we tell resurrection stories. We looked through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we looked at different stories from people who interacted with, spoke to, and connected with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. These are super awesome stories. They're important stories in the, story, in the uh, overall uh, journey of our faith and the development of Christianity. But today we're going to wrap up our last one of the resurrection stories, and it's actually going to be found in the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, the book of Acts chapter 1. Now, as I said, the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels, written by four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they were there, those four books were the, those disciples' telling of what Jesus did during his life on earth. And the very next book after the four Gospels is the book of Acts. Now, in your Bible, if you have a Bible or maybe you're looking on a device or something like that, the first page or the first uh, screen for the book of Acts actually says the title of the book is not just Acts. It's actually called the Acts of the Apostles or the actions or the things that the, the followers of Jesus did, the disciples who became apostles you know, the founders of the faith, these are the acts. This is the stuff that they did. So in Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at a handful of verses between verse 6 and 11, I think, and that's going to be about this one time after Jesus had, had, had been resurrected, about 40 days after that. He had, he had appeared and talked to different ones of the disciples, individuals, big group of them, he had appeared to them multiple times. He had spent quality time with his followers. And then here we are, 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is having one more get-together with his disciples. Now, in, in, in what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, at the first, it's, it's a conversation. Now, I don't think the disciples knew what was about to happen. But one of the craziest things 
that they'd ever seen, and they had seen a lot, was about to go down. But they thought, because they had been a little over a month having these different times of meeting up with Jesus, having important conversations with him, having meals with him, having really good times with Jesus, they thought this was just another one of those times. But they did think, hey, since we're talking to Jesus, let's get some information. Let's get some answers to our question. So we're going to look at the first thing in this particular conversation that the disciples asked Jesus. It's going to be in verse 6. Now, you can look at up and you have in your worship guide that you picked up off the table when you came in, or maybe on your device or it'll be on the screen. In verse 6, this is the question they asked. So when they, the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Pretty big question on the minds of Jesus' followers. Now, to understand why they would ask this, you have to... You have to kind of wrap your head a little bit around the context of the way they thought. Jewish people, devout, God-fearing Jewish people for hundreds of years prior to Jesus being born and living and doing all the stuff he did that we find in the Gospels, hundreds of years leading up to that, they had heard the promises through the prophets, their holy scriptures, their holy writings. And these promises were that one day a Messiah was going to come and he was going to bring freedom to God's people. Now, what they thought that meant was that when the Messiah comes, he is going to make Israel great again. I'm sorry, I just couldn't resist. That, that's what they thought. They thought it was, uh, it was like nationalistic in their uh, like interpretation of what the Messiah was going to be. It was a political thing. It was a military thing to them. It was, oh, I let there be, and there was. Light, uh, some lights just came on, and, and we thought that was cool. For those of you at home, uh, that's what just happened, and we chuckled. But so the disciples were like, wow, we have just spent three years with you. We have seen that you as the Messiah are a little different than what we expected. We have now come to understand a little bit more about what your mission was, Jesus. We now know that it was about... It's about teaching. It's about connection and relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's about forgiveness of sins. It's about healing people who are sick. They saw things out of Jesus that they did not expect to see out of their Messiah. They saw him treating minorities with respect. They saw the way he interacted with poor people. They saw that he honored women as equal to men, which tragically was not the case in the culture at the time. And then they saw him say crazy things like at a Passover meal, just, day, just right before he died. The bread that you're eating is not just regular bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. The wine we're drinking is the blood, my blood poured out for you. So they're like, whoa, there's a lot to this Messiah thing that we didn't expect. And they were starting to get a little, to understand that just a little bit. And that's a good thing. But down deep in their hearts, they were still looking for the good stuff that was going to come to their, to their, uh, their nation and their culture. They were saying, man, one of these days, because Jesus is here, because he died, because he came back to life? Are you kidding me? 
this is the ticket now, man. You can't even kill this guy. He is totally going to overthrow Rome, who were the oppressors of the Jewish people at the time. So they probably sauntered up to him and they said, Jesus, man, it's so good to see you again. Love all this time we're having. You are amazing. You teach. You change lives. You heal people. You cast demons out. That whole dying and come back to life thing, wow, that was awesome. Now, you haven't forgotten about the whole taking care of Israel and making sure we're good and setting up our kingdom. You still on that? And since we're, since we're talking about it, when's that all going to go down? It's about time because it's going to get crowded uh, over the next week or so. There's going to be Festival of Pentecost. There's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people in town that aren't normally in town. They're going to be celebrating. Maybe that would be a good time. Set up the kingdom. Make us your cabinet. Start holding daily press conferences. Telling this, that, you know, the, the Pharisees they were fake news. All that stuff. Let's do this. Is it time yet? Here's the thing. Jesus realized as soon as they kept asking that question, they still don't get it. They still don't get it. And you know what, guys? Now, we understand because of, of where they came from, how they were raised, and how they thought politically and socially and militarily. We understand how, how come they didn't get it. But you want to know something? They are us. They are us. We come to our connection with God. We come to our faith journey. And let's be honest, we come with a lot of expectations. Long list of expectations. We hear the words, God is going to bring freedom, bring freedom to me. And we have a very specific idea of how that's going to look. Freedom. Oh, man, I'm going to live my best life now. And it is going to be awesome. And everybody who made fun of me for going to church, they're going to go, wow, look at him. He's got it going on now. Lord, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming back from the dead. Thank you for everything you taught us. I'm in. Now, when, Lord, just, just clue me in, let me know when's everything going to start really working right. When are you going to set things up for me? When are you going to hook me up? When's that going to go down, Lord? Just give me a little timeline. I'm not saying I have to be the decider of that. I'm just asking you to clue me in. And when we do that, we're just like the disciples. We just don't get it. Because the way God does his work is different than the way humans think he's going to do his work. There's a big plan that is in motion. There's a big story that's being written. And sometimes we're a little bit surprised and even disappointed. And quite frankly, we can sometimes be ticked off at the way it's going down and the way it's developing and how long it is taking. There is going to be a choice that we have to make. And that's to release our expectations about how things are going to look. And when they're going to look how we want them to look. Can we do that? The disciples had that decision to make. They came with 
they came to this meeting hoping they were going to get answers and they didn't get the answers that they were hoping for. Jesus has tried to explain to them over and over again. He's tried to explain, listen, guys, if you could look at a map of the world, I don't even know if they had maps of the world back then. But anyway, if Jesus would say, we would probably say, the nation of Israel, the land that we live on, is just this little sliver on the map. And I got a plan working that is so much bigger than this little sliver. And the Lord would say that to us as well. When we come to him with our legit questions, Lord, when's this, when's this prayer going to get answered? When is this thing going to be over with? When is that relationship going to get healed? When, is, when am I going to get the call back from that job? When is the diagnosis going to improve? When is that x-ray going to come back with nothing on it? Or that MRI coming back with nothing on it? When is that going to happen? And the Lord would say to us, your legit concern about that thing is a very small slice of the bigger story that I'm writing. And can you release the expectations? And can you let me go? How does God respond when we just don't get it? I try to picture it. I try to picture Jesus being there. I mean, he's been resurrected for 40 days, and they're still asking these questions. They're like, okay, when's it going to happen? When are you going to set yourself up as king? When are we going to start running the show around here? And I wonder if he, I almost expect him to go to do one of those, uh, just Jesus rolling his eyes, face palm, uh, you know, the Napoleon Dynamite heavy sigh. Oh, <laughs> idiots. You know, I, that's what I would almost expect. But, you know, that's not how it works when we come to God with these questions because God understands that we don't get it, all right? His plan and his trajectory for us is that we would grow and that we would understand more and that we would learn more. But he understands that we're just us, you know what I'm saying? We're going to cycle through this stuff with some regularity over the years of our faith journey where we're going to realize, doggone it, I really had these hopes and expectations that aren't getting met. Jesus had to have a conversation like this. He, he threw out a line to his disciples um, on the night that he had his last supper with them before, you know, going to the cross and sacrificing himself for us. He did a thing where he wanted to, he, he washed the disciples' feet. And the, you talk about blowing their minds. Like, Wait a second, Messiah, you're going to be the king. You're going to be running everything. You're the decider. You're the mover and the shaker. And you're doing the task that is literally done by either servants or maybe actual slaves. Why are you washing my feet? And Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 7 says, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. I think we just need to get that verse tattooed on our hearts and our spirits somehow. Because that, and I know Jesus was talking specifically about that act that he was doing and, and, and the timeline those guys were in at the moment. But doesn't that describe our lives all the time? Isn't that the way we are? Then I don't really understand what God's doing right now. 
But one day I will. And implied in that verse, in that statement that Jesus made to his disciples and he's making to us today, implied in that is that we're not going to bail. We're not going to bail when we don't understand. We're not going to get bitter when we don't understand. But we're going to allow God to take his time and to do his thing the way he wants to do it. Big, big theological churchy word for that is God is sovereign. He is in charge. And to come to him and live life with him is true freedom. And it is healing. And miracles happen in our lives when we walk with God. In addition to all that, we regularly, all the time, don't really understand what's going on. You know, do you guys uh, know in the Bible how often that we're, uh, as followers of, of Christ, and I say even in the Old Testament, as God-believing people, uh, do you know how often we're compared to one particular animal? Sheep. That's it. I heard you guys at home. Somebody hollered sheep. Way to go. We got a lot of people watching at home. I'm just trying to be cute. Sheep, we're always talked about, we're called sheep, and God as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus said, I am the true shepherd. This is, this is good stuff, right? Do you know what the biggest problem sheep have when it comes to their uh, decision-making process? The biggest problem for sheep in terms of deciding what to do, where to go, how to act. Biggest problem. Short legs. So stinking short. Can't see stuff. Can't do, don't, don't know what's ahead. Don't, can't even remember what's behind. Don't know where they're going. There's, there's these, these passages in, in the Old Testament. It's quoted in the New Testament as well. Where it said, we're all like sheep and we're just wandering off. We are constantly wandering off. And do you know why the sheep... What is singular of sheep? It's sheep, right? Okay, I'm an educated man, I promise. But anyway, do you know why the sheep wanders off? Because he really thought it was a good idea at the time. But he has short legs. And he gets himself into situations where he's isolated and, and in a, in maybe injured or in a dangerous spot. You know what the coolest thing about shepherds are? Long legs. They can see stuff. They can see what's going on. They can see what's ahead. They can make plans. They can, they can find these lost sheep. Jesus is described as the one who has a hundred and maybe one of them wanders off. He leaves the 99. He goes, find that. How many of you have been the one that wandered off one time or more in your life? How about in the last 24 hours? Come on, tell the truth, people. Come on, this is us, right? And he is faithful to one. So listen, this is a new thing. We need to start doing this in conversation around the house with friends. You get yourself in a situation where, uh, where, where you get yourself in a tight spot from a bad decision. Or maybe you under start to just even notice some kind of angst in your heart and you're getting all worried about something. You're losing sleep over stuff that you or trying to pray about and, and leave up to God. Maybe you're disappointed and actually embittered and mad at God for not doing something as quick as you hoped he had. 
If you want to be honest with that, you're talking with somebody, you're talking to me, a family member, or a friend, there's a new hashtag, hashtag short legs. Hashtag short legs. You assess your situations based on the, the height of your legs, and it'll help us with our perspective. And we'll go, oh, I know why I'm so, I know why I've been so cranky for the last week and a half. I know why I've been dropping the ball. I know, I know why I got myself in this bad situation. Hashtag short legs. We were like sheep who have gone astray, but you know what we do? We return to the shepherd of our souls. We return to the shepherd of our souls. So the disciples, we laugh at them. Oh, when are you going to set up the kingdom? Blah, blah, blah. That's us too, all right? So let's look at Jesus' response. He doesn't slam them. He doesn't just say, you idiots, you still don't get it. He says in verse uh, 7, he said, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. This is how God works. God works this way all the time. He asks us to trust him. He asks us to go with his plan. We like to use the term surrender, to surrender to God's plan, letting go of our expectations and being willing to humble ourselves and go with God's sovereign plan. And it, but he does that all the time. But you know what he does? He, does, he says, please surrender. And by the way, you're probably not going to know the full plan most of the time. Isn't that awesome? Yikes. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 8. It's talking about the father of our faith, Abraham. From the Old Testament, the father of the Jewish nation, but he's also called the father of our faith. Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God, obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. Check out this sentence. He went without knowing where he was going and, and thus became the first guy that didn't stop to ask for directions. So this, we come by it honestly. It's a faith thing. It's a connection to our ancient uh, father. But seriously, he went without knowing where he was going. Here's the way God, here's the way God works. He, he asks us to surrender. He asks us to come and live his life, the, the, the life he has planned for us, and he doesn't tell us all the details. So Jesus said one phrase that's super important. The phrase is, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. Not for you to know. There's no fun to talk about this. No fun to talk about how we are asked to sign on to this life. It, it, and, and there's a lot of things that it's just not for us to know. We talked about a minute ago, we have a long list of expectations when we come to God, just like the disciples did in following the, the new Messiah. I have an even longer list of stuff, and it's the not-for-me-to-know list. And there's a lot on that. But this is, our, this is our invitation. This is what we're asked. This is what we're asked to do. It's not easy. It's tough. It's real tough. Eleven years ago this weekend was a, a very significant 
weekend in my life. Um, it's the weekend that my recovery began. Been in recovery for 11 years. Thank you. That is awesome. Thank you. But if, you're, if you know what recovery is like, then you know the beginning of recovery is not a pleasant thing because it's a, it's a crashing and burning. It's a, you know, the term, the rock bottom moment. So my recovery started 11 years ago this weekend. And it's so amazing how the calendar works. It was a Friday and a Saturday, the 15th and the 16th of May in 2009. My recovery began. And uh, I had spent my entire adult life with a secret sin that I could never get over. I couldn't ever... I fought the battle against it in secrecy and isolation. Even as a minister, I was in a, as a Christian, a Christ follower, but I had this thing that I just could not... It was an addiction. It was an addiction to lust and pornography and... It led me to a life of dishonesty, just straight up, straight up lying, dishonest person. I was sexually broken. I was just, I was so messed up. And, and my recovery has been a miraculous journey, but it's been very difficult. It's very difficult still to talk about sometimes because the reality of my recovery is that I, is that I hurt a lot of people and I broke a lot of hearts and, 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 lost many, many things over the course of my recovery. I've experienced amazing miracles as well. God has restored and brought and built back just mind, mind-blowing stuff. But on the first day of my recovery, which was the 16th, May 16th of 2009, I was sitting by myself in my house up in New York State. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to pray, but I, it's like I can't even pray because I'm so messed up in my head, so messed up in my mind. Kid knows what she needs to do, right? I like it. I like it. Need some, uh, need some hand sanitizer, don't we all? So, but, um, so I was trying to pray, but I couldn't even pray. I wanted to read the Bible, but I couldn't even bring myself to look at there's this one place in the Bible, the only place in the Bible that I could go. And it was in Psalm chapter 51. It's a cool psalm, poem, prayer that, that King David wrote on the day that he uh, had his, uh, his recovery began. When, he, when the truth, just like me on that day 11 years ago, his truth came out. His truth about adultery and murder and manipulation and lying, and all these different things, and so he wrote this psalm, right, Psalm 51, it was the only place in the Bible that I could even bring myself to go to, and, uh, and I would just read it over and over again, and there was this song that was written that was taken directly from that um, Psalm 51, it was a worship song all those years ago, and so I remember I, I picked up a journal, and I, and I did my very first journal entry on that day. And I wrote down my prayer, and it was the words of that song. And it said, hide your face from my sin and cover my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit 
inside me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the wonders of your love. Deliver me from this hour of darkness through the pain and the brokenness. And one day, I will tell others of your loving kindness and your faithfulness. So that was my prayer. That's how it all started. And I had no way of knowing what was going to happen and when. It was not for me to know. So I know how painful it is when things don't play out the way we thought they would. And I know how dark it is to have more questions than you do answers. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of how hard it is. But I'm also aware that in, even when I was at my worst, God was still writing his story for my life. I am also aware that nothing I ever did on my worst day changed the way God loved me. And I was able somehow to hear him speaking that to me 11 years ago. And it's been a crazy, weird, wild journey. But God does his best work when we don't know what he's doing. So I encourage you. My encouragement is don't freak out because of all the stuff that it's not for you to know. Don't freak out. Be encouraged. God is writing the story and he will never lay down his pen. There are things that we don't know and won't know. We won't know when. We won't know how God is doing his work. I've got reams of journals in the last 11 years, and one of the themes of my journals is, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know how it's going to play out. But I do know, as 2 Timothy 1.12 says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he's able to take care of everything that I commit to him forever. That's the good news. So it's not, see, it's not what I know. I don't know what, but I know who, right? I know who I believe in. So it's not what you know It's who you know. And who do we know? We know our loving, powerful, gracious Heavenly Father who never, ever gives up on us. He never gives, He's faithful, He's patient. And if we're too hard-headed to get it, He's going to keep with us and He's going to keep 
running us through this cycle until we do get it. And when we do, it'll be a beautiful thing. It's not what you know, but it's who you know. And I need to add another phrase to that phrase, or another little tag to that phrase. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And more important than all of it, it's what he knows. It's what he knows. And through all throughout the scripture, the writers of the scripture, and sometimes Jesus himself, they just pause to say, God knows. And they tell us some of the stuff that God knows. God knows what we need. Jesus himself said that to us. God knows what we need. It's not who you know, it's what you know, and it's what he knows. He knows what we need. He knows that we're just dust. He knows we're human. He knows all our brokenness and our limitations. And he is not one time frustrated about that. He's patient and he can work us through it. He knows we are just dust. He knows. He knows every nook and cranny of this broken, weird heart of mine. And he knows the way I think, and it doesn't freak him out. He knows all of this, and you know what else he knows? He knows the plans that he has for you, and they are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They are plans to give you a hope and a future. It is not what you know, it's who you know, and it's what he knows. So when we're invited into this, this journey of surrender and this journey of not knowing, it's all right. It might not feel all good, but it is all all right. And I think the disciples started to see that in these moments. There's hope for us. There's a lot that it's not for us to know. Now, so what do you do? So what do you do when, when you're not getting it? And there's all this stuff you don't know, and it's kind of messing up your groove, and you don't know how to proceed, and what do we do? Well, let's take the example of the disciples, because they sure didn't have it all together in this moment. Jesus, just before we get to verse 6 in Acts chapter 1, Jesus explained to them, listen, I need you guys to just stay in Jerusalem until further notice. Don't you love the until further notice stuff? Isn't that great? So when are we going to be, when are we going to go back to TJ Maxx? I don't know. DJ Maxx, closed, curbside, until further notice. Maybe it's, maybe it's open now. I don't know. When am I going to get to actually sit in the Mexican restaurant and dive into that cup of queso instead of waiting till it's lukewarm when it gets back to my house? When? When? I, you know, what do we do? Listen, until further notice, stay in Jerusalem because the promise of the Father is coming. God has promised to send his Holy Spirit and you stay in Jerusalem until it goes down. So, um, so let's do what the disciples did. Let's just do our best to follow the instructions we get, and um, and and we'll stay in Jerusalem until further notice. And we'll 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 get together. We'll we'll stay there in the upper room, and we'll just see what happens. 
Jesus says, specifically, he says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He is saying there's a task. There's a task that I'm, I've, I've got for you guys. There's something I want you to do. It's to spread the news about me. There's a task. There's something you need to accomplish that task. It's power. It's energy, it's oomph, it's unction, it's, it's fuel. We need that. And there is a person who is going to provide that power for you, and that person is the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive God's explosive, dynamite kind of blow-up sort of power, and it is going to drive you to be able to do what you want. You remember he's telling he's telling. Uh, guys who've probably never traveled more than 50 miles anywhere, maybe 100 miles in their entire life. He says, you're going to take the message that's going to go all over the world. And they're like, come again there, boss. How's that going to work out? The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. It would be crazy for us to try to do the task without the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to actually ask the band to come on up. I, uh, I, I'm horrible at time management, and we need to close. So, but um, we're going we're gonna to kind of skip to the end. But here's the deal. It would be crazy to do the task assigned to us without the power and energy that we need to accomplish it. It would be like, how many of you have moved to a new house or apartment in the last year? Anybody? All right. So it would be like you moving and we see you pushing your refrigerator down J.R. Allen, walking. And we pull up beside you and we say, hey, you know what? There's this thing called U-Haul. And they have dollies and ramps that will help you move that stuff to over there. And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm just happy that I got a place to move into. And I'm happy that I have this fridge. And I'm telling you, that's the way a lot of people, Christ followers, act their whole life. They say, okay, I'm going to do the God thing, and I'm going to try to be better, and I'm going to try to spread the news. But I'm going to do it in my own strength, and they, don't, they never take the time to call out and cry out to God for the power that's already inside of them as Christ followers, because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Ask God, release the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I don't have to be sharp enough. I don't have to be smart enough or smooth enough to do this job. This should be our bold prayer every morning. God, make this day count for spreading your message. This 24-hour period, God, help me do my part to spread your message. And in asking God to do that, we are saying, I lack the power, I lack the wisdom, my legs are short, so I can't even see far enough in front of me to know which direction to go or to who to go and talk to. So I need you, Father, to release the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, 
in my heart and in my mind so that I can tell the story of Jesus. And suddenly in, this, in this, these verses that we've read, we have Jesus telling us that the Father has a plan and he's going to release the Holy Spirit into the earth to get the job done, the Trinity. Boom, baby. This is awesome. And here's the most awesome part about all of it. We are invited to be a part of that. We are invited to participate. In the uh, table talk uh, notes on the worship guide, I ask you if you're willing to start praying a bold prayer. And that bold prayer is, God, can you empower me to spread your message, to spread the truth? There are people in your world who need to hear your story. They need to hear your story of what your life was like, how you met God, and what your life is like now. The whole truth. Just that's the story. We are invited to share this. We're not invited to come sit six feet apart once a week. We're not invited just to tune in and comment on how awesome the music is, which it is. We're invited to spend, and I'm talking spend, our lives spreading the message. And we don't have it all together, and we don't even have it all figured out, and we're imperfect, and we're broken, but that's what we do. Will you join us in that mission? That's why we exist as a church. Because there's an empty grave, an empty tomb. And there's an empty, hungry world. So we need to tell the story of the tomb to the hungry, empty people. Will you help us do that? Will you start asking God for ways that you can take the step to share his message? I want to share one last verse with you. It's from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 24. And it's Paul the apostle, and he's talking to some friends, and it's a goodbye time. He's not going to ever see him again. And uh, he's just kind of explaining why he does what he does. And this has become a life verse for me. This is now my favorite verse in the whole Bible. And, and Paul says in verse 24 of Acts, chapter 20, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Will you join me in that mission? And we'll do it together. And it'll be awesome. And it'll be hard. And it'll be confusing. And there'll be times when we don't get it. There'll be times when we don't know stuff. But God will be with us. Let's pray that we will be the eyewitnesses in our world, in our family, in our friends, in our work circles, in our school circles, and that we'd be willing to say, God, wherever you want to send me and my story, I'll go. I'll tell it. Father, our hearts... 
our hearts are full. Our hearts are full of questions. Sometimes our hearts are full of confusion, but our hearts are full of hope that you can use us, even us. You can take our stories, even our stories, to make a difference in the lives of others. Help us to be the eyewitnesses. Help us to spend our lives telling others about the good news of your wonderful grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. She's like, it's finally over. All right, so stand with me. We're going to sing a song, and I love this song. And Stephen said, we're going to do this King of Kings at the end. And I thought, oh, that's so perfect. Because it tells the whole story about Jesus coming to save us and rescue us out of our darkness. And I just want to ask you, to, to make a commitment in your heart as we sing this song that you will let God spend your life telling this story to whomever, whenever, and however he chooses to do it. Thank you guys for coming.